The scripture today is out of Luke 15, starting in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hungry. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. You, you never gave me your young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He is lost and now he is found. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, that you are our resurrected King. Lord, I pray that there would be many in this room that would begin to learn and to understand that you are king and only you can be king of their heart, of their lives, of their destiny. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning. It's in your name I pray, amen. Why do you need the resurrection? Why do you have to have it? Why, why must you have the resurrection in order to live? Why, 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 why is there this sense? Why, do, why have Christians gone on talking like this for so long? We've been talking about the resurrection uh, forever, it seems like, at least 2,000 years now. Why, why do we have to keep doing this? Why is this a thing? This is lost on many Christians today, and it is because we believe that we can achieve resurrection on our own. We can achieve hope. We can achieve something that is of us and by us and for us, that is about us and will fulfill us. We believe that we can do that. You know, 2020 was a tough year. Lots of jokes, lots of memes about that. Very funny. 
uh, and, and also not so funny because there's been, you know, a lot of difficulty. There's been a lot of bad. It seemed like there was no end in sight. It seemed like there was so much that was in the way. It seemed like, man, when is this pandemic going to end? I remember last, last year in March when uh, this all came down and, and we had to close our doors for uh, a few weeks, we thought. And we thought, you know what? Wouldn't it be awesome if we got to open back up on Easter Sunday of 2020 and be able to have people in this, in this room again? It would be great. It would be like resurrection. It would be so awesome. But what happened was not that. It got worse and it got worse and it got worse. And it seemed like there was no end in sight. There was absolutely no hope. Today, we seemingly have some hope because there's a vaccine A lot of the uh, older folks have been vaccinated. There's been some relative uh, progress in that area. However, our world is still in chaos. Our world is still on this road to ruin, and it seems like it's not going to end, even with a vaccine. We are searching for hope. We believe that we can bring resurrection in our lives. I want to tell you a story this morning that we started actually last Sunday. We're in a series on the book of Luke. And in the book of Luke, chapter 15, uh, Jesus is, uh, is, is, tells a, a series of three different stories. But it begins like this. And it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now what Luke is pointing out to us is he wants us to see that the really obviously sinful people were gathering, were coming near to Jesus. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to see him. They wanted to know him. They wanted to, they wanted to know what he has to teach. They wanted to understand what he has to say, which was weird because all of the religious people of that day were just kind of punks, and it seems like the religious people should have liked Jesus and the irreligious people shouldn't have liked Jesus, but it was actually the reverse that was happening. And then Luke throws in this statement just to make sure that we understand what's being said here, which is this man, that is Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. That's what these religious people were saying about Jesus. This man, he, he receives sinners and eats with them. He, he hangs out with people that you shouldn't be hanging out with. He hangs out with people that break God's law. He hangs out with people that are sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors and all of that stuff. And so Luke wants us to see something. And Jesus even tells us something earlier in the book of Luke when he says, it's not the well that need a doctor. It's the sick that need a doctor. It's, it's not the righteous that I'm calling, it's the unrighteous. Jesus is coming for the people who are unrighteous. And here's what is true. What Jesus is trying to communicate to us through this passage is the only thing worse than being bad is being really good. The only thing worse in your life than being really bad is actually being really good. That's the only thing that's, that's worse. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. He receives only the sinner. He does not receive the righteous. So then he tells us three stories just to drive this point home. He talks about a lost sheep. And he talks about a shepherd who goes and searches for the one lost sheep. And he pursues that, that sheep. He pursues after it. And he wants to find it. 
He receives it. He, he, he pursues it. He rejoices when he finds it. Then he talks about a lost coin, and this woman is searching through her house. She's sweeping, looking for this one lost coin, and she rejoices and celebrates when she finds it. What's Jesus trying to say, say to us? He's trying to say, I rejoice, I'm excited, when the really obvious, obviously sinful people are found. I rejoice when the really obviously sinful people are found. So then on Good Friday, we talked about the next story, which we're in today halfway. But the first part of the story that I told on Good Friday was about this younger brother. So we know this story fairly well. It's called the story of the prodigal son. It's a very popular, a very well-known parable out of the Bible. And this story illustrates this idea of God's grace to somebody who's been extremely sinful. This young man goes to his father and says, hey, I want my inheritance now, essentially wishing his father dead. And he says, hey, I'd like, my, I'd like my inheritance now. He doesn't want relationship with his father. He actually just wants his father's stuff. And it's really obvious. It's really obvious with younger brothers. Because younger brothers are the type of person who get all that money and then they go out and blow it. They, they, they blow all of the cash. They blow all of it, they go out, and they, I, I, I don't know what it is, they get hooked on drugs, they're spending it on all kinds of, all, all kinds of things, new cars, new house, uh, you, know, you know, dollar bills everywhere, right? <coughs> Never heard that in a sermon, have you, huh? huh? <laughs> Welcome to Outward Church. Uh, yeah, so the, uh, the younger brother, he is just spending cash like it's going out of style, and what happens? He comes to this point where he is destitute. He's completely destitute. He, uh, a famine comes, a stroke of bad luck, whatever it is. He spends all his money. Now he has no food. He's enslaved, essentially. He puts himself in slavery. He's feeding pigs, and he wishes that he could just eat something from the pig food, but no one gives him anything. So he decides, listen, I'm going to go to my dad, and I'm going to tell him a story, and I'm, and I, and I'm going to say, Dad, I'm so sinful. It's obvious. I've blown out my life. It's so absolutely obvious that I've blown out my life. And so he says, all right, I'm going to go to my dad and I'm going to say, okay, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I, I want to come back. You can treat me as one, of your hired, uh, as one of your hired hands. He goes to his father. His father sees him a long, long way off. He has compassion on him. His dad runs to him, and he embraces and kisses him. And the son starts with this speech, and his dad says, nonsense. I'll hear none of it. They put a robe on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. And he brings him in, and he says, let's party. Let's kill the fattened calf, and let us party because my son was lost and he is found. He was dead and now he's alive. And Jesus is trying to say that the people who are so obviously sinful are the people that are accepted by Jesus. He pursues them. Yeah, amen. You, sir, or ma'am, sorry, I, whoever it was. This is terrible. Should I start over? All right. Uh, offensive. What's this young man's problem? This young man's problem is this. He believes, like all of us, that he can create his own utopia. He can create his perfect life on his own terms and without his father, without God. Many of us are in the same place. We believe that we can create our perfect life 
on our own and without God. We can create utopia. If we just have the funds, we can go out there and do it. And the younger brother blows out his life by trying to search for that. He's just trying to make life perfect. He's trying to create hope with money. He is trying to make things work. And it's obvious that it doesn't work. But there's another brother. Now, what we oftentimes think in Christianity is this, is that you don't want to be like the younger brother and go out and be all sinful, even though God would be gracious to you there. You should be like the older brother. You should, be, you should not be sinful. You should do what's right. And so many people in Christianity or many people in the world who aren't even in Christianity believe that the prodigal son story is about like the really bad people that God has grace on, and that's awesome. But this story is not actually about the younger son. The younger son is the obvious point. The, the sinners and tax collectors are drawn to Jesus. It's the religious people that are pushed away. It's the people who are like the elder brother. And so what Jesus is telling us here is that there's a lost sheep, there's a lost coin, there's a lost younger brother, but there's also a lost older brother. There's a lost older brother. And so let's look at it here. He said, it says this, now his older son was in the field, verse 25. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. This older brother is the kind of son who has been working out in the fields all day. The younger brother took off. The older brother has been sitting there working. He's been serving his dad. He's been helping out on the farm. I mean, it's probably during harvest time. The guy took off at, at spring break, maybe. Uh, he went to go party down in uh, Miami, and then he ended up doing whatever. The younger brother is still in the middle of nowhere. He's farming. He's helping with the animals. He's dusty. He's dirty. He's tired. He's sweaty. And he comes in from a long day's work. And it says that he hears music and dancing. I don't know about you, but like dancing that you can hear from across the field, that's some loud dancing, right? I don't know if it was like river dance or, or anything like that. I would do an impression of that. I have before on stage, but I'm not going to today. But he could hear music and dancing. He comes in and he's like, it sounds like there's a frat party going on at dad's house right now. What in the world is happening? And so he calls one of his, uh, one of his helpers. He says, hey, uh, what's, what's, what's with all, all the noise what, what's happening here? And the brother, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the worker says, hey, remember your brother that took off. Remember your brother that left you with all of the work. Remember your brother who basically divided your inheritance. Remember that guy? Yeah, he's back. He's back. Wait, wait, wait a second. Uh, my brother that left and, and, and wished dad dead, my, that brother came back? Like, he came back? And he's like, yeah, he came back. And so what happens? What happens? Well, this is where we see the rubber meet the road with the older brother. The older brother. Verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in. 
he was angry and refused to go in to the party that was going on. He hears this party, his brother's in there, everyone is celebrating, and he refuses to go in. And this is the first indication that we see, that this older brother is not just lost like his younger brother. It's actually that he is more lost than his younger brother. He is actually more in a state of jeopardy than his younger brother who's taken his father's money, said, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want your money, and gone out and blown all the cash on everything that he ever wanted, tried to build his own idealized life on his own terms and without God, build his utopia. This guy, find hope on his own, whatever it is. This guy has blown it, and the older brother is furious and he shows us that he is actually more lost than his younger brother. How do we see that? It says in verse 29, after his father had said, dude, come in. He said he answers his father like this. He says, look, all these years I've been working for you. Tim Keller, who wrote a great book on this, which we have for you out at Connect Central, and whom I've gotten many ideas for this sermon uh, from says this in in their culture if you were to address your father as saying by saying look it's the equivalent of saying today look you look you it's it instead of in like in that culture you would have honored your father your dad would have been everything to you you would have you would have been very respectful very courteous this son shows something about himself. He shows when he gets angry, when things don't go the way that he wants to, when his utopia, when his perfect life is interrupted, he's beginning to show his cards. He's beginning to show what happens. He says, look, you, it's basically like he's saying, you're not my dad. He's disowning his father. And look what else he does in verse 30. But when this son of yours came, not only does he disown his father, not only is he not happy that his brother's returned, he's essentially saying, that's not my brother. I'm, he's, not, he's not with me. I'm not a part of him. He's disowned his father and his brother. He's disowned both of them. What happens when things don't go your way? When you believe that you have done everything that you need to do, when you believe that you're a pretty good person, when you believe that you, you have your stuff together, you know what? You try to help people. You know, I'm nice, I'm nice to people. I'm, I, I take care of people. I gave somebody some money when they needed it. I take care of people. I'm not really that bad. When things don't go the way that you want them to, what happens? Do you get angry? When your idea of a perfect life, when your utopia is interrupted, what happens? What takes place? See, this son disowns his father through his good works. This son disowns his brother through his good works. As I said before, the only thing worse than being bad is being really, really good. Look at the next thing that happens. He's entitled to the father's stuff. I said on Good Friday that the younger brother comes to his dad and says, Father, Give me the share that's coming to me of your property. 
Give me the share that, that, that's, that's coming to me of, of, uh, of your estate. And so when he says that, what he's saying is this. He's saying, Dad, I want you to take some of your property. I want you to liquidate it as though you were dead, and I want you to give it to me. Now, the younger brother would have received probably a third of the estate. The older brother would have received two-thirds. So he, he says, I want you to liquidate a third of your estate, making your current estate smaller, and I, want you, and I want to cash out, and I want to take that. And so he's essentially entitled, give me what's coming to me. Give me what belongs to me. The problem is, is that many people think that the elder brother, well, he's the good brother. He stayed, and he took care of people and all that stuff. But the elder brother is also entitled the, the, the older brother is also entitled to the father's stuff. He says this when he says, after all these years that I've served you, you haven't even given me a goat. You haven't even bought me burgers for my friends to have a party. And my, my brother comes and you take him to Rudy's Steakhouse? Like what in the world? He's entitled. I should have had that. I should... I should have had that stuff. He's entitled to the father's stuff. And he's basically saying this. He's saying, I believe that I should have my idea of a perfect life, and you should give that to me. He's entitled to the father's stuff. He's self-righteous. He's self-righteous in this when he says, these many years I have served you. The word there actually means I've slaved for you. He's kind of dramatic as well. He's a little bit of a drama queen. Uh, like, I mean, maybe you're that kind of person and, you, and you, you act that way towards your, your younger sibling. My youngest sibling is sitting on the front row right here. So I'll be careful what I say. Uh, he's a scrappy little dude, but... Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, <clears throat> but where was I going with that? Uh, yes, sometimes you got a black sheep in the family. And the older, the older brother can really look at the, at the younger, younger brother or the younger sibling and go, man, they don't have their own phone. They don't seem to take care of themselves. They don't seem to, they don't seem to do anything on their own. They're, all, they're asking mom and dad to buy them a house, buy them a car, and all that stuff. Sorry if that's you. But this older brother is self-righteous, like many of us who are older might be towards a younger sibling who gets everything from mom and dad. This older brother is, I have slaved for you. I have slaved for you all of these years as though he's not getting anything out of the deal. I've slaved for you. I never disobeyed anything that you ever said. Oh, really? Like you've never disobeyed anything? Like I said, he's kind of a drama queen. He's like, I, I've never disobeyed anything. He's self-righteous. On the other hand, my, my brother... This son of yours has devoured your property and my property, by the way, with prostitutes. He's gone out and just blown it on whatever. That's what my brother has done. And basically, he's so angry because of this. Because when the estate was reduced by one-third, now there's only two-thirds left. When the father welcomes the younger son back in and puts a robe on him and puts a ring on his finger and puts new shoes on his feet. He's welcoming him back into the family and back into the inheritance that was also the elder brother's leftover inheritance. And the older brother is furious and who wouldn't be 
who wouldn't be? But here's the problem. Here's why the older brother is more lost than the younger brother. It's about control. It's about control. See, both sons are using the father to get their idea of utopia. Both sons are using the father and they're saying, I don't want you, but I want your stuff. The older son just wants the father's stuff in this way. The older son is, basically says, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to try to control you through what I'm doing that is right. I'm going to try to make all of these good works. And basically, he's basically trying to say, I want to control the father so that I can get to my utopia. See, utopia, his perfect life, he was not relationship with his father. He wasn't doing good in order to love his father. He was doing good in order to get something from his father. He was doing good in order to receive from him. He wasn't doing it out of love for his father. See, that's an incredibly dangerous place to be. In fact, John Gerstner says this. He says, the thing that really separates from us from God is not so much our sin, but our damnable good works. The thing that keeps you from really having relationship with God is not so much your sin, like the elder brother, who is very obviously sinful and in great need. He's hungry. He has no money. He has nowhere to stay. It's like, I got nowhere to go. I'm coming back to the Father. The problem with the elder brother is that he's buttoned up. He's got it together. He looks like he has it all together, and yet he's a fake. I was watching a documentary on Netflix. I know I talked about a documentary on Netflix at Good Friday about Taylor Swift. I'm a Swifty. Uh, I don't know if you know that or not. This is Taylor Swift fans, but uh, the one I watched on uh, or the, the the other day as well was about artwork. I uh, wanted to feel pretentious, and so I uh, watched a uh, watched this documentary, and it was really quite fascinating because. It was talking about this incredible scam that happened in the art world. I don't know if you've heard about it. Uh, very, very interesting. I fell asleep four times watching this thing. I, would, I mean, it was, it was real, real riveting. But uh, here, I mean, it starts out by saying, there have been so many people who've been ripped off from fake artwork. And the reason was this. There's a thing called provenance. And provenance, this is what I learned on this documentary. See, it's educational. Provenance is the history of a piece of artwork that hopefully gets traced back all the way to the artist. And a really good bit of provenance, that history, would be a picture of that piece of artwork with the, the artist who claims to... or the person is claiming uh, that they uh, created that piece of artwork, that would be a really good piece of provenance or history of this artwork. And so they talk about this incredible scam where this woman uh, hears about this artwork that was with this family that apparently got it from the original artist that no one had ever heard of. And so somehow they try to trace this, this history of this artwork back and they think that they have it right. And then they get all these experts to say, yep, I believe that that's a so-and-so, and I believe that that's a so-and-so. 
And they, they really got it perfect because they even signed it on the back. It was like a perfect signature. And, the, and everything looked amazing and people would see it and they would just be like, oh my goodness, this is such an amazing piece of that particular artist. And there was like 87 million, millions of dollars were spent on this for decades, a couple of decades, I think. That were, that were happening. And then all of a sudden it comes out that all of this artwork was being created by this Chinese artist who was looking meticulously at the original artist and then not copying it, but creating new artwork. And said, well, he would have done this here. He would have done this there. He would have done this here. And then it comes out that all of this is fake and everyone was duped, men and women. Many of us are fake artwork. We have all the signs. We got the signature. We got the stuff that makes it look like we are Christians. But the reality is, is that we have disowned the Father, and we've disowned the Father through our damnable good works. See, your works are the, are, are the problem here. Your works you thinking that you've done enough, you thinking that you're good, is a way to say, I don't need the father. The younger brother obviously needs the father. He needs help. He doesn't have any hope of that. The older brother still has hope. He believes that he can get to his perfect life, to his utopia through his good efforts, and he does not need the father. The greatest way for you to avoid Jesus is to claim that you're righteous, to claim that you're good. You can claim to be a Christian and still be lost. You can be very religious and still be completely disconnected from God. There is no provenance. It does not go back to the original artist. Your goodness isn't flowing out of a love for the Father. It's flowing out of a desire to have life go well for you. Did you know that the church suffers today from millions of Christians who believe that they're good enough and really all that they've done, they've worked hard, they stayed when the younger brother took off, they have done all the right things, and they think God owes them a good life. And Jesus has something else for you. You cannot have relationship with me when you're claiming that you have the good works that validate your artwork. That doesn't work. So what has to happen? The issue here is that repentance hasn't really taken place. As long as you believe, I repented of all the bad things that I've done. Repentance has to take place over even the good things that you've done. All of the ways that you believe that you, that you have validated your own relationship with God. All of the ways that you think that, why wouldn't he let me in? Why wouldn't I be a part of that? Repentance must come, not just for the bad things that you do, but it has to come for the good things that you do. 
See, what happens in the local church today is that many of us think, yeah, everything's fine. I don't really have anything to repent of. We think that that's, that's what God wants. That's what we should be. And many people are repulsed by it. Many of you probably haven't been in church for a long time. Some of you haven't been in church for a long time because you're just like, they're just a bunch of self-righteous jerks. And the sad fact is, you're right. I'm the first one. I'm it. I'm it. Jesus, on the other hand, is worthy of following. Jesus, on the other hand, is worthy of saving you. Now, how does he do it? I was talking on Good Friday about the person that comes to Jesus, and they're like, it's like they can't even look at him because here's what they know. At one point, they received the grace of God. They they accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, but somehow in their daily life, they have blown it, and not just kind of blown it, they've blown it big time. It could have been through one act, it could could have been through multiple acts, it could have been through the failure of something, a failure of a marriage, a failure of character, a failure in some way. And so what happens is this, is that they think, I, I can't even look at him. I don't want to see him. I don't want to have him look at me. And so they're, they're, they're timid. They don't want to come to him. But here's the great thing about it. This man only receives sinners. Jesus does not receive the righteous. So the fact that you have sin and that you've blown it and that you know that you've really blown it and that you continually blown it and then you keep doing it and you keep doing it and you keep doing it, that's what actually validates your ability to actually have relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I was talking about this quote from Dane Ortland from a book called Gentle and Lowly where he says, do you know what God does? Do you know what Jesus does to people that squander his grace and his mercy? Do you know what Jesus does with younger brothers? People who have blown it and they say, maybe I've never come to God. Maybe I've never had relationship with him. Maybe I've never really even been there. I, don't, I'm not even, I couldn't go there. All of the things that I've done. Do you know what God does to people who have neglected him, never come to him, never not wanted to be with him? They just wanted to do sinful things, but yet they know I... I I've got all this stuff. There's no way that I could come to God. Do you know what Jesus does to people like that that squander his grace and his mercy and thwart everything that he's ever done for them? He pours out more mercy. And do you know what he does after that? When you sin again and you go, dude, I went back to it again. I'm back in the pigsty. I've done it again. See, that recommitment, that rededication, that time that I walked forward in church, that thing, like, do you know what he does after that? He pours out more mercy because God is rich in mercy. Do you know what he does to people who are trying to build their utopia, their idealized life on their own terms and without God? He pours out more mercy. Do you know what, you know what he does To self-righteous jerks that think that they have it all together. They're just accusing everybody else, whether they're religious or not. Accusing everybody else of everything that they've done wrong. Does that happen in our culture a little bit, maybe? 
every single day. You said the wrong thing. You acted the wrong way. You did this. You did that. I'm not saying bad things don't happen. I'm just saying we got a lot of elder brothers in this world that are not even religious. Do you know what he does to elder brother type people? He invites them into the party. It says he entreated him. The father came out and entreated him in verse 28. He welcomed him. He said, come, in, come into the party, son. He's inviting you to admit your guilt, not just through your sins, but through your damnable good works. And he's welcoming you into the party. He says, after his son has disowned him through his language and his brother he tenderly says to his son in verse 31, Son, buddy, that's how I talk to my son. Buddy, listen, man, I know you're ticked at me right now. I know whatever happened, happened. Son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. Everything I have is yours. You didn't have a calf because you didn't ask for a calf. You didn't have a goat because you didn't ask for a goat. He invites you as the religious. He invites you as the elder brother to come in to the party. How does he do that? He does that through his cross. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. What is he Lord over? He is Lord over this universe. He is Lord over utopia. He is Lord over your idealized life. And when you come to Jesus and you say, I want to place faith in you, I want to trust that the only way to utopia is through you. The only way to get forgiveness of my sins is through your cross. And I trust that what you did on the cross was for me. Do you know what he does with sinners? He pours out more mercy, and he has more mercy, and he has more mercy, and he has more mercy. You cannot come to Jesus with your own righteousness. It won't happen. Don't be a religious jerk. Come to him with your sin. But then the second thing that happens, which is what we're celebrating today, is his resurrection. His resurrection is important because of this. Because if the resurrection did not happen, if the resurrection did not take place, then everything that I just said is worthless. Because of the resurrection, we have the promise that we don't have to try to create utopia right here and right now. That's not on our shoulders. All of our anxiety, all of our depression, all of our, the world not going right, all of that stuff not working out the way that we want it to is resolved in Jesus Christ through his cross and his resurrection. And he entreats you. He invites you into it. The resurrection means that we have new life that we have the possibility of uh, being with Jesus forever. In fact, the certainty that we have life 
with Jesus forever. And if it didn't happen, Paul says, we are to be pitied above all other people. The apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 saying this, saying that there are eyewitness accounts. This is a historical document that says that people saw him. It's, it, it, it happened. And the question is this, is that are you going to believe what everyone else says or are you going to believe documents that have been around for ages upon ages upon ages that show that this man received sinners, he was crucified, and he rose from the grave? That's the question that you have before you because he's making it available to you right here and right now. Won't you receive Jesus Christ? This morning we have some baptisms that are gonna be taking place and these are people that have chosen to give their life to Jesus Christ and that could also be you. If you wanna be baptized this morning, I would love to, to chat with you. If you would like to uh, talk more about uh, beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'd love to hear from you. You can fill out a connect card and say, I need to make some changes. There's no doubt many of you in this room that know you need to make some changes. You came to church for the first time in a long time. Maybe you heard something from Jesus' words, and now you're ready. Don't miss this moment. Act on it today. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your mercy for your love that comes through your cross. That because of your great love for us, the Father who is rich in mercy has made us alive with Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for that reality. Lord, I pray that every person in this room would see the hope that can only come through your resurrection power that comes to them through the cross. Lord, I pray that you would change our minds, change our hearts, that you would move us to live for you, not by our good works, but just because we love you. It's in your name we pray, amen.